Welcome to the Scoop Podcast, where we talk all things testing, regulatory, and Goshi market for infant formula. My name is Karen Breidman, and today we're going to talk about the U.S. Center of Excellence for Infant Formula Testing at Eurofins Food Chemistry Testing Madison with my special guests, Ed, Marissa, and Ian. So let's get started. Today on the show, we're excited to have Ed Ladwig, president of Eurofins Food Chemistry Testing, uh, Marissa Feller, general manager of the Vitamins Lab, and Ian Lessig, the general manager of the Nutrients Lab. And they're going to talk to us about their experience and expertise with testing infant formula samples. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Uh, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Ed, let's start with you. Why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about our Center of Excellence here in Madison? So the food testing site here in Madison started about 100 years ago with a gentleman by the name of Dr. Steenbach. He did uh, vitamin D testing in milk. And uh, so he did that at the university and spun that into a business, uh, which became the food testing business here in Madison. We've been in Madison ever since. Um, so we've been around uh, quite a long time. We've been testing infant formula since the 1970s, so a uh, fair bit of experience with that. Uh, we've done projects for NASA uh, as well. Uh, so really some of the highest regulated uh, foods uh, that are out there we, we do the testing for. Fantastic. Uh, so it sounds like we have a lot of experience with infant formula. Uh, what do you think makes us so good at it? Well, I think it's really the experience that we've built over the last 50 years testing infant formula, but really it's about the people that, that are on site. So we have uh, a number of scientists uh, that have been with us for 30 or 40 years. Uh, they've really been working on infant formula their whole career. Uh, we're really on the cutting edge uh, with uh, the technology and the methods that, that we use. And it's really, um, it, it's, it's really just about the longevity and, and the amount of investment that we've made in that, that space. That's awesome. And so how is the site in Madison broken down? So the site in Madison is really uh, separated into four business units. Uh, we have a vitamins business unit, a contaminants business unit, a nutrients business unit, and then a specialty business unit, uh, which captures all the assays that, that aren't in, in, in the other three. Um, they're very big. Uh, so the, the site itself is the largest in, in North America for food testing. Uh, we have about 450 or so chemists on, on site there. Yeah, very impressive. So Marissa, Ed mentioned uh, the four business units and you obviously look after the vitamins one. So mm -hmm. tell us why is uh, vitamin testing so important to get right in infant formula? Yeah, well, since um, infant formula is really considered a sole source nutrition, it is very important to ensure that um, there's adequate nutrients available for um, infants because they need it for the development and growth. Um, so it's likely going to be the only nutrition that's provided to infants in early stages of life. And because of that, it's really important to ensure that the correct levels of vitamins and nutrients are really available, not only at the initial um, time point, but then also throughout the um shelf life as well of the product. Yeah. So um, what would you say would be the common challenges that we see with it, with vitamin testing and infant formula? Yeah. So uh, that's a really good question. Um, and there's a couple of different challenges with vitamins, but due to the importance around the regulations for the sole source um, nutrition products, the levels of vitamins tested in the product are really, really, really important um, for that product to successfully be on the market. So there's many considerations with vitamins um, throughout the, the product life cycle, but one of the biggest ones is um, vitamin degradation. And uh, vitamins can really degrade quickly um, in any kind of UV light. Um, and so really in the vitamins lab, we take 
a great deal of effort to protect from light. So we have yellow lights. We also use brown jars um, where possible to protect those samples from from light degradation. Yeah, yeah really important. So uh, explain to us a little bit about why the source of the vitamin uh, makes a difference in what testing we do. Yeah, so in addition to um, degradation of vitamin from light, there's many challenges with forms of vitamins that are used um, in the finished product. Um, so historically, a lot of the vitamins came from premixes um, or something that's fortified added to the infant formula. But currently, there's a lot more examples of vitamins coming from plant-based sources um, in the product. And coming from plant-based sources creates a lot of um, different variables for the lab to be considerate um, of. And so one of the most important things in testing, especially um, with utilizing different sources of the vitamin material, is to ensure that the right method, um, the fit-for-purpose vitamin method, is used for testing. Um, and so in most cases, um, we really want to look for the total vitamin content um, just to make sure that we're including all of the different forms of vitamins. That's great information, Marissa. Thank you. So, Ian, you're uh, another one of our general managers, and you look after our nutrients department, but also our sample management department. Um, so why don't you explain to us some of the challenges we see with um, infant formula in the sample management team? Yeah, no, I think it's a great place to start, Karen. I mean, really, you think about any testing program you're doing, whether it's infant formula or supplements, the most important thing, one of the most important things is making sure you have a homogenous sample to start with before starting testing. I would say we're fairly fortunate in the infant formula market where the companies themselves have invested a lot of resources into ensuring homogeneity before release of a product to, yeah. to the marketplace. I mean, case in point being how much effort the industry took on powdered infant formula using spray dry technology mm -hmm. uh, to make sure they have an homogenous sample um, for, for the consumer. So we're a bit fortunate there where, where I think we have uh, the most significant uh, challenge for us is to make sure we're following the sampling and testing parameters that our clients have for us. So you know, really what I mean by that is clients will have us test three, five plus time points throughout the production of a lot uh, to make sure they're getting consistent production throughout throughout the facility. What they'll also have us do is perform a composite of some of those time points as well. That's where the responsibility is really on us as the testing laboratory to make sure we are compositing that sample appropriately. And we'll use in industrial mixers in order to do that so we can composite the entire material together mm -hmm. um, before we release it to the lab for testing. I'd say that's the most critical step that, yeah. that we provide in that, in that area. Yeah, and super important to get right. So as a follow-up to that, how do you ensure we don't get cross-contamination when you're going from uh, one manufacturer sample to another manufacturer sample? Yeah, I mean, the easiest step is right to use single-source container. Mm -hmm. So as much as we possibly can, we'll use single-use uh, containers in order to, to prep a sample. Um, in many cases, you, you can't. You're using an industrial-type mixer. Sure. They just don't have throwaway parts that you then toss right back in. So what we do, we have also um, industrial uh, dishwashers mm -hmm. that are specially designed in order to take the equipment that we need to have washed, including steps within that washing cycle that, you know, an at-home dishwasher doesn't have yeah. to ensure uh, the, that the material is clean as possible. So every single container we use would be used once, put through the washing process, dried, and then brought back to the, to the prep lab before using on another sample. That way there is zero possibility of, of, of a container being used back to back on, on a client A or a client B sample. Yeah, that's super good to know. Yeah. Awesome.
So one of the departments that you oversee is our fibers department, uh, where we uh, were very lucky to uh, release a HMO method last year uh, that received first action at AOSC. So uh, it was a great accomplishment by your team. Thank you. Um, and so why don't you tell uh, our viewers a little bit about our involvement with AOSC and what it really takes to bring a method to life. Yeah, uh, I, I would first say AOAC is something that we've been extremely involved with throughout the history of, of Eurofins and the Madison site. So um, it, when you think about the process to actually get a method through even to first action as a start, it, there's a, a fair amount of work that goes into that. It takes a pretty significant investment from from any industry or any um, uh, vendor that's going to go through this process, you have to invest up front. So, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you think through the steps. I mean, you, you're you going through method development yourself to begin with, um, whether that is through client request or whether that is through something we see in industry uh, to make that decision. Um, you're starting there with method development, which depending upon complexity of method can take months to, to years potentially, right? Um, but when you think strictly AOAC process, you're – you're typically looking at at um, SMPRs, which are standard method um, performance requirements that is usually put out by AOAC. That is a baseline of what that method has to adhere to to even be considered mm -hmm. for for adoption. Um, beyond that, you have a developed method, have the SMPRs. You're then doing a single lab validation, which you'll do at, at your laboratory, which has to include a certain number of matrices and, and meet those SMPRs, which. Once completed, uh, you would write up a, a complete report and, and a method for that that's submitted to AOAC. It gets peer-reviewed. It gets reviewed by a subcommittee. Then it's brought to a vote. If, if, if it's going to be adopted or not, it gets, it gets motioned, has to be seconded to be adopted. And then at that point, you would have a first action. Uh, yeah. status method, yeah. And it's great because a lot of those people doing the peer review are actually informal manufacturing mm -hmm. scientists, right? Yeah, so yeah. So it's a great uh, vote of confidence in our abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be um, scientists that are tied directly to infant formula companies themselves as well as, well as other third-party labs. Yeah, fantastic. One of the most rigorous processes absolutely. for yeah, developing absolutely a method. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, Ian, how long does it take, for example, for to get to first action where we got to with HMOs? Yeah, so to get to first action, at a minimum, you're talking probably about one and a half years of time to get there and get that adopted. And then if you go beyond that, there's another step to go to final action status, which mm -hmm. then requires additional investment from, from us to do that, which is setting up a multi-lab validation, which mm -hmm. requirements are eight labs. Um, but typically we try to target 10 to 12 because sometimes labs may not get data back to you. Sure. And we also target international labs. So you're looking at at least two international labs, probably eight to 10 domestically. And then you're taking all the effort to provide the samples that are going to be tested as part of this validation, doing all the homogenation, sending it out to those labs. Then you receive all the data back, you table it, compile it, write up another report, submit to AOAC. Uh, that probably takes another year and a half to two years. When you're yeah. thinking of of a method from start to finish, final action, you're looking at a four to five year process, probably at minimum. Yeah, and all that resource and cost is, is on your face. It, it's yeah. all directly on on, on us. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, it's a great testament to our commitment. Yep. So how many methods have we been involved with at Eurofins for AOAC? Yeah, so throughout the history of the Madison Lab, um, we ourselves have submitted and had um, over 10 methods adopted uh, into AOAC that we've developed ourselves. When you think about multi-lab collaborations that we'll do with other vendors and, and our clients, 
it's another 50 plus. So when you look at our scope of involvement uh, with AOAC, you're, you're talking 50 to 60 plus methods that we've had some way, shape or form, we've been tied into the review or the production of data to help that method yeah. through the process to final action AOAC. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, it's a great accomplishment by your team. Ian, congratulations on the HMO uh, method. So, Marissa, our proteomics department uh, falls under your purview. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's going to be one of the biggest growing uh, areas for infant formula as they try and mimic uh, human milk protein profiles. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about our proteomics capability? Yeah, yeah. This has actually been a really exciting area in the past couple, couple years, so I think it's really good that we talk about it. Um, historically... Most infant formula has been produced using bovine milk raw materials, um, but they express a very different protein profile of human than human breast milk. Um, and so one of the biggest tests that we do in this group is lactoferrin, which is primary component in human breast milk. Um, and so what infant formula producers are really doing now is trying to supplement with different forms or different um, places where lactoferrin um, can help supplement their infant formula product. Um, in addition to that, A1, A2 beta casein is um, really important to digestive comfort and digestive, digestive health in the infant formula. Um, so we also test for levels of A1, A2 um, beta casein as well um, to help to create a formula that really is um, going to be digested easily for infants. Fantastic. Looking forward to seeing how it grows. All right, Ed, so bring it back to you. Um, so it uh, looks like, I mean, our lab is really poised to grow well with this market um, in the next, you know, three to five years. So how do you foresee both the lab and the industry growing in, in the short term? Right. Uh, yeah, I think the, the way the industry is going to grow is there's a, a number of big players uh, mm -hmm. today. And I think the government, I think the industry is really uh, going to grow with some smaller players. Mm -hmm. um, startups that are coming in that are going to create some competition, I think, for the bigger players in the industry. Yeah. I, I think where we can help uh, in, in that regard is with all of our expertise is to help those uh, newer players with both the FDA, uh, with the correct methods that, that they need to use, as well as having the capacity to do the testing. Yeah. Uh, we built a new lab here in Madison in 2021, about 110,000 square feet. Uh, we built it with a plan to have extra capacity. And even during the last few years, infant formula crisis shortage, uh, we've hired a, a number of extra staff, about 30 extra staff, just to help us to keep up with the demand uh, of the testing that goes with this market. So really uh, what we're doing is kind of leaning on the investments we've already made mm -hmm. and then doing additional investments in both people and process, equipment, methods, uh, you know, as we go forward. So yeah. I think we're really uh, in a position to help the industry. Yeah, I agree. I think we, we built a great facility. Yeah. Our Central of Excellence is a great partner for for all the manu manufacturing, uh, informal manufacturers out there. I think yeah. we're great, yeah. Okay, great. So that brings us to the end of this uh, episode and the end of the first series uh, for The Scoop. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you liked this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and until next time, I'm Karen Breishman, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>